The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. My guest today is bail enforcement agent Joe Stiles. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Good morning, uh, Francie. I'm fine. Thank you. You're calling in from way, way away from in Tennessee, and you're telling me it's raining cats and dogs. Knoxville, Tennessee, and absolutely, it's it's been raining out here for the last several days, but we're hoping it'll dry up here by the end of the week. Well, I hope you pass some of that rain to California, because we sure, we sure need it out here. Well, I'm... So, go ahead. No, no, I, I don't have any control over that, but I sure yeah. hope you get it, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. So, Joe, you've been in the... Today, we're going to talk about what not to say to a bail enforcement agency, a, an agent. You've been in the bail enforcement business for almost 30 years. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us more. Okay, uh, well, I'm a native East Tennessean. I was born and raised here in Knoxville, uh, graduated high school, uh, joined the military, spent four years in the Army, um, after I got out, I spent um, a short stint, uh, about a year, with the local sheriff's department here as their uh, as a corrections officer, as a jailer, mm-hmm. and um, met a fellow that he and I went to high school, separate high schools, but at the same time, and he and I were both on our respective wrestling teams, and he was a bail bondsman, and they were looking for someone to hunt down people who didn't show up for court, and gave me a shot at it, and uh, that was 1986, so that's 29 years ago. I'm going into my 30th year pretty soon, yeah? Yeah, I started wow. when I was 24, and, uh, or 23, and I'll be 53 next year. And you found out that was something you were good at? Um, I, I've enjoyed quite a bit of success at it. I, I've had a good time doing it, uh, and, and I'll... I enjoy it, and I like to think that I'm good at it. So, um, I, I mean, I was reading your bio. You now um, serve 22 counties in Tennessee. Is that right? We do. We have 11 agents serve 22 counties. Uh, I, I started this company in 1999, uh, pretty much after I'd spent about 13 years uh, working as an investigator and then a post what we call a posting agent someone who writes bonds and then uh as a managing agent where i actually had other agents underneath me and then um ended up opening up my own bonding company in 1999 and we started out in four counties and since have expanded that 
to um, uh, 22 counties and about 11 agents. Interesting. And you, you and your wife, uh, Darlene, have the business together. We do. We are partners in everything. I mean, partners in life and partners, business partners. Uh, she is, I'm sort of the face of the business, the guy who goes to court and handles the public uh, image of it. And she is the nuts and bolts of it. She absolutely, you, you cannot, I could not overstate how important she is to keeping the business up and running when I'm out doing whatever it is I do. She crosses the T's and dots all the I's, huh? Absolutely. Without which, a bonding company uh, could not stay in business. I'm, it's, sure, that, it's yeah, not I'm all sure that's true. Being out on the street, it, it is a business, and it does require filings and and keeping up with the same minutia that accompanies all businesses. Sure. Well, and I, you know, I think that people don't think about that. You have to file paperwork. You have to comply with all kinds of of legal documents and all of that. They think of you just as going out and apprehending somebody, and that's it. But there's a lot of paperwork involved, isn't there? There's an entire section of the Tennessee Code. It's uh, <laughs> Title Forty, Chapter Eleven, that uh-huh. deals. And when I say Tennessee Code, that's our Tennessee state statutes. And there's an entire section that deals strictly with bail. Who can be a bonding uh, agent? What are the qualifications mm. of it? Who can't be one? What you can and can't do as one? One of the biggest complaints that I hear whenever people are doing television interviews or something really bad happens, you know, somebody will go on television or in the newspapers and they'll say, it's a very unregulated business and there's no laws and there's no this and and in reality, it's the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, from filing semi-annual reports with every court that we uh, write in to con- really? attending continuing education uh, to being available for what they call show cause hearings. If someone doesn't show up, um, there's, like I said, the, ent- the entire Chapter 11 of Title 40 um, has to do with Strictly the bail bond business. Interesting, and so and you're on the Tennessee Board of Professional Bail Agents. I am no longer there. I you're served not? Uh, three years uh, on the Tennessee Association of Professional Bail Bond Agents. I was one of their directors at large, and okay. while I was on there, I was chairman of the Internet Committee and the Continuing Education Committee. And the Internet Committee, of course, was responsible for the design and maintenance of the website. And the uh, Continuing Education Committee, by statute, every bonding agent in uh, Tennessee has to attend eight hours of continuing education. Mm -hmm. And without that certificate, you can't, that has to be filed every January 15th, along with our semi-annual reports. And without that certificate showing that you're not in compliance with the previous year's continuing education, then your bail bonding privileges are suspended. Interesting. So, and that's uh, uh, continuing education that's been approved by the state. Yes, the the uh, state association sends a copy of what of their curriculum or their program to the administrative office of courts to demonstrate what they're going to be teaching the uh, bail agents that year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. And Joe, do the laws change? 
frequently with bail agents and, and how you apprehend people so people have to be stay updated with their continuing education? Well, in, in places, the laws in the state of Tennessee, uh, for the industry in Tennessee, there are occasionally uh, updates to them, revisions to it, just like any other occupation, just like uh, attorneys get or... Um, what any occupation that's you know governed or licensed, then you know they have revisions to their statutes. This is deleted. That's not you know that's not uh, continued or something is uh, omitted or changed. Uh, depending you know on the laws that are passed every year in the in legislation, one of the things that we're constantly uh, monitoring are judicial decisions that govern our industry that will set precedent, meaning, you know, set the rules that lower mm-hmm. courts have to follow mm-hmm. when dealing with uh, bail bondsmen. So the laws change on a pretty uh, regular basis, not drastically. Usually it's just a revision or a decision that's sent down. But from state to state, the laws are extremely, extremely different. The underlying premise is that the bail bondsman is responsible for producing the individual that they have posted a bond for when the court demands it. Mm-hmm. And so most statutes or regulations are structured to, uh, to bring that about. However, in Tennessee or in Virginia, uh, bail bond regulations are administered by the Department of Justice. I see. So that where we have state statutes that govern us in the state of Tennessee, bail bonding and bail enforcement are strictly regulated by statute. In the state of Virginia, it's regulated through administrative regulations by the Department of Justice. In some states, like Indiana, <clears throat> excuse me, they have uh, uh, the in, the Department of Commerce and Insurance does a mm-hmm. lot of the regulations as well as they have statutes. So it's, you have to be familiar with the different states that you're going into, and especially the states that are no commercial bail states. Interesting. And so uh, because you guys um, can do nationwide transfer service, that's how you, why you get involved in all these different state issues? Well, you have to – if you're going to travel and, and pick up bail jumpers outside your home state – then you must not only comply with the state laws that govern your activities while you're in your home state and any federal laws that govern your activity for crossing a state line, but you also have to be in compliance with any state laws uh, governing your activities in the state where you apprehend the, the bail jumper. For instance, if you go to the state of Florida to uh, arrest someone who's been uh, who skipped bond, Skipping bond is a term we use for someone who fails to appear at a scheduled court date. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But someone who has skipped bond in Tennessee, then you must not only be in compliance with the laws in the state of Tennessee that allow you to go to Florida, but you also have to be in compliance with the uh, laws of the state of Florida when you get there. So it does, it, you know, it, it benefits you, and, and it's certainly a smart idea to keep abreast of laws and how they change. And Mm -hmm. one of the ways we do that is through networking. So once you've been in the business, you know, for as many years as I have and travel as many places as I have, then you build up a network of contacts and, 
you're able to keep abreast of things pretty easy through that and and through association with uh, like-minded individuals who are trying to do the same thing in the other states. So if you have a, a bond jumper from Tennessee and you find out that they're someplace, in some other state, you don't contract out to an agent in that state. You, you actually go look for them or try to apprehend them yourself. Um, that, and again, that depends. Okay. I have connections in, in pretty much every state that allows us to chase bell jumpers, either through personal connections that I build up myself or through my involvement with um, the National Association of Bell Bond Investigators, which I happen to sit on the board of directors for. But um, what we, it's, you have to be very careful when you're contracting cases out. And the uh-huh. reason why is the greatest liability that you will ever face is the liability that uh, comes about from having to actually arrest someone. Yeah, I would think that would be a little risky. It's yeah? extremely risky. You have to know that person uh, pretty well, or you have to know someone that knows that person. Like, like I said, I, I'm very a lot of bonding companies in town. I just had a bondsman call me yesterday who's here who needed a, a skip recovered in uh, Michigan, and I have extensive contact or contacts in Michigan and was able to help him and uh, link him up with someone up up in Detroit who was able to work with him to get his guy recovered. But um, there's a lot of people in this business that you would not want to do business with, and and that's why it's really hard sometimes for the younger agents to break in if they don't have a mentor, if they don't have someone to vouch for them, if they don't have the, um, the you know, backing of a, of a group of people who know each other. It's really, it's a really tough business to break into. Interesting. I want to come back, and later I want to come back to that because I'm sure some people will be interested in how to break into the business. Um, So uh, you mentioned that you were on the board of directors of the National Association of Bail Bond Investigators. And um, I believe your bio said that uh, you founded that, but you were actually a, one of several founding members that got together to uh, form this association. Is that Absolutely. correct? That is correct. And in, the ca- in case one of those other 30-so men and women read that, I would not want them to think I was <laughs> taking credit for, <coughs> for soloing that out. But uh, a friend of mine who's, who's an extremely competent and, and much more famous than I, uh, Bell Bondsman and Bell Bond Investigator in... Um, Maryland, he his name is Scott McLean, and Scott is the uh, founder of the Chesapeake Investigations Group out of uh, uh, Marlboro, Maryland. But he's a he and I have have been friends for years. We met on the internet and ended up meeting in person uh, when he did a recovery for me out of Pennsylvania, and uh, have maintained contact over the years. We've picked up cases together. We've taught classes together. But Scott and I had bounced this idea around about forming an association that was for the good of the membership. Too many associations that have been created regarding bail bondsmen and bail bond investigators uh, exist for the uh, purpose of creating a windfall for the person who started it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't include any kind of education or it doesn't include any type of uh, ethics or promotion outside 
what, whoever the person was that founded it. And we got together with several people, many of them from California. As a matter of fact, our current president is a gentleman by the name of Robert Edwards, who's from Northern California. He mm. is the president of Lion Fugitive Recovery Group. That's L-I-O-N, Lion Fugitive Recovery Group. And he's mm. a super, super gentleman. And uh, we met in St. Louis. We set down some bylaws, established some member fees, and we are going to be having our fourth annual meeting in Memphis, Tennessee this year. So I'm, I'm sort of getting to be the non-official host of this year's convention. <laughs> Sounds but, uh, like it. Sounds like yeah. it. Great group and of people. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. But um, So w- what do you see as the value, Joe, of uh, having a, an, a, a trade association? I guess it's set up as a nonprofit. It is, is it? set up as a nonprofit. There's no one who uh, serves on the board who's paid for their services. Mm-hmm. It's a volunteer. You're elected by the membership um, of the association. The primary goal of the association was to lend a more positive image to the idea of bail enforcement by maintaining a strict professional and ethical standard, but also to create a both a networking and men- mentoring uh, program Mm-hmm. so that new people coming in would have some place to turn to to answer questions, get education, uh, get referrals, become known outside their own geographical area. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of you know the lone bounty hunter out chasing his skip across the wide open plains is really outdated. It, with so many states passing regulations, it would be impossible to be licensed in every state that you require a license in. Mm-hmm. And it's just so much easier if you have a group of individuals put in place that you don't have to go after them. And, and that still happens. We still have to go after some. If I don't know someone in that area, um, then uh, there's times when I, it has to be a hands-on thing just Last year, I went to Puerto Rico on a case. So, really, wow. Uh, yeah, we go wherever we go wherever they are. So you are using a lot of uh, resources to locate people. Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Hiding nowadays is—I'm uh, sure you're aware of this as an, you know, as a private investigator. Uh, when I first got in the business, of course, that was before the internet, and. Um, before cell phones were popular, uh, I remember, I don't know if you've ever used these, but I remember one of our best investigative tools was the old city directory. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> a reverse directory where you could actually look up a phone number and it would tell you who it was registered <laughs> to as opposed to looking up the name and finding out the phone number. Exactly. Or um, looking up the street and it would tell you who lived on that street and, and all printed things, you know, that you, big volumes that you had to buy every year for exactly. like a hundred bucks or whatever. But those things are pretty much, I mean, the internet pretty much put those things out of now business. You, yeah. Now you've got GPS pretty much put your, we used to have a map on our wall at the office and you would have a book if you didn't know where the street was and yep. you would, you would look the street name up and it would give you a C2 you know, right. 23 or something like that. <laughs> so those things are all gone. Those things are past. Uh, the, the investigative tools that are available now are, there's so many databases that are out there right. that right. they're all competing with each other and the free online searches. And 
uh, the social media groups. You'd be yeah. surprised how many people cannot stay off social media. They're hiding exactly out, right. it, but they're, you know. <laughs> but they're on Facebook. Way we out there in the open. <laughs> we need to take a break. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at 1-800-447-2112 to get started. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Tennessee Bail Enforcement Agent Joe Stiles is my guest today, and and Joe has some great stories about what people do and say when they when they're apprehended. Um, Joe, tell us some of the situations you've run into. Well, people people always are trying to make excuses for why they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Of course, and you very seldom ever run into someone who said, look, I just didn't want to go to jail. That's why I ran. (laughs) And they do it in order to, I think in a large part to soothe their conscience. They don't, they're not trying to be funny. You know, it's just by placing the blame somewhere else, they pretty much absolve themselves of the responsibility of going to court. Of course, I wrote that article in uh, PI magazine and listed my top 10 um, funniest ones. And they have ones like, my lawyer uh, was supposed to get this taken care of. 
or mm-hmm. they'll say something like, one of my favorite ones, I chased a guy literally for close to a year. It was one of my toughest, toughest cases because the guy was really, really smart. He was a member of Mensa. Mm-hmm. So I finally catch the guy down in Georgia. Oh, he goes to slam the door. Uh, two police officers were backing me up because he had some felony charges, some violent felonies out of Florida. And uh, the cases I was looking for him uh, for were some financial crimes. But uh, <laughs> we knock on the door. He comes and opens the door. Uh, he sees the officers. He starts to slam the door on me. So I just bust in the door for him, the door, and knock him sort of back out of the way. And then I slam him into this wall because he's struggling with me. And I didn't realize he wore a toupee. And so the, <laughs> the toupee shifted. And so I'm in the middle of this struggle with this gentleman, and his hair is in his eyes. It's shifted over to his face. And, of course, that's funny. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of laughing and struggling at the same time. So... He gives up after a minute. I'm a pretty good-sized guy, and he, he wasn't all that much to – He I don't know why he did it. Even, maybe he thought he'd get lucky. But anyway, I got the cuffs on him. They The police officers come in. They find a bunch of forging equipment and checking, you know, where he can cut checks and things like that. So they take all that, but they let me have him. So I am get him in the car, and we're leaving. And – he tells me, well, I'm glad this is over with. I was going to turn myself in tomorrow anyway. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you just want to look at the guy, you know, just reach back and smack him real hard. But, you, of course, you can't do that. But, you know, that's, that's the thing. It's never, oh, you caught me. I ran and you caught me. And they'll say crazy things, you know, like uh, my mom was supposed to have taken care of it. I recently had a case where the guy was hiding out with his mother, and she was a very nice lady. She had a very good job, and and she lived in a very nice section of town, and I'm sure she didn't like the fact that I was pounding on her door at 7 o'clock in the morning. And her neighbors, of course, you know, were standing out watching. And all the guy had to do was come out. He could go downtown and be booked and remake Bond. That happens a lot. And... uh this little lady opens the door, and he's standing behind her. And he's about my size. He's probably six foot, turning 50 pounds. And she looks at me real serious. And this guy's 48 years old. She looks at me real seriously. She says, you better not hurt my baby. Oh, <laughs> you know, okay, I guess not. <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that you get. Well, I'm still laughing about the toupee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I, mean, I, I, tend, I tend not to segue into my stories. That's the bad problem about having so many stories and been in it so long. I literally can tell war stories without taking a breath. And so please feel free to cut me off any time in the well, middle. I have this, this is a great visual image. It's hard to maintain your demeanor when your toupee is askew. <laughs> Well, we try, but, you know, they sometimes sometimes just have to laugh. That's all there is to it. Oh, my goodness. And then to have, don't hurt my baby. Well, you didn't, did you? You didn't hurt your baby. I, we seldom we seldom hurt people. Um, I, you know, I, when I used to teach a class on professional ethics, I used to tell the people that if you've never had to fight anyone, then you just haven't arrested, arrested enough people. 
But yeah. if you find yourself having to fight everyone you arrest, then you need to work on your people skills. Because the majority of people, if, you, if you've done your job and you've done it correctly, then you should be able to take them down with little or no trouble. Because it's, it's not like being a police officer. Police officers have to take on whatever they face. Bell enforcement agents target one individual. They try to catch him when he's the most vulnerable and take him as quietly mm-hmm. as possible. Um, my good friend that I spoke of earlier, Scott McLean, he kind of coined a phrase called low impact recovery. Hmm. And we, That's good. you know, those of us who adhere to that philosophy, you know, understand that the, you know, the danger of not only someone getting hurt, but also, you know, criminal and civil penalties are extremely high when you're going to take someone into custody. And you want to do it, for the most part, most of us like to do it with the least fanfare possible. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Um, so, I have to ask you this, Joe. What do you think about these bail agents that go on TV and, and really uh, play it up? Well, I mean, it's television, you know. It, um, so it's not real life. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 the most famous one, of course, would I, I'm sure be uh, Dog the Bounty Hunter, Dwayne Chapman. And I don't know him personally. Of course, I know of him, you know, from television and stuff like that. Um, it, not my cup of tea. I mean, that, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be too hard on the guy, but. I have a hard enough time getting into a neighborhood with just me and maybe one or two of my guys. I can't imagine how you get in there with, you know, two carloads of bell enforcement agents, a sound man, two camera guys, a director, a makeup artist, a a publicist, and, you know, any cops you can round up to go with you. Mm -hmm. It just seems more like a circus than anything I'm familiar with. And Yeah. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it, I can't imagine the guy of, that you're like apprehending. Sort of like the of the bail enforcement agents. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. how if The guy, that, the fugitive, I can't imagine what he'd be thinking when the house is surrounded by TV cameras and et cetera. Um, when he finds out the parade's there for him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, people enjoy watching it. And, you know, just people want to rom- romanticize uh, other people's lives. You know, I mean, they want it to be something more than what it is. They, they want to believe that there's something out there. Um, I think most of that crew's uh, people carry, like, paintball guns and things like that. And if you were really going after, like, one of America's most wanted, you wouldn't be going out there, you know, dressed like, you know, WWE wrestlers carrying paintball guns. I mean, you would, mm-hmm. or pepper guns or whatever it is they carry. I mean, you take those kind of people serious and you take them down serious. So have you ever gone after America's Most Wanted kind of a fugitive? Um, I've never really caught anyone profiled on America's Most Wanted. I did, uh, I did catch a guy who was profiled on Unsolved Mysteries years and years ago. Um, but... He was he was a suspect in a murder, but I don't think he. I, I think he later came out he didn't actually do it. But mm-hmm. yes, he was he was profiled on Unsolved Mysteries. I it was one of those TV shows. But I caught mm-hmm. him up in uh, Dayton, Ohio. Didn't know he was profiled on the show. He was the one 
who actually thought we were from the show. Oh, I see. And we, were, and we actually picked him up on a uh, DUI third, driving under the influence, third offense. Uh, that was what I was looking for him on. But he, was, he had been profiled as a suspect in a murder somewhere in Virginia, I think. Uh, I've well, caught 13 people who have skipped bond on murder charges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've caught people who have escaped from jails. I mean, I, I've I've caught lots of people, sure. How many in your almost 30 years, how many people do you think you have personally apprehended? Well, do you know? When I was young, yeah, when I was younger, I used to keep track of it. But as I got older, I quit, you know, it, it's... Um, it would be hard to say. People always throw out the craziest numbers, and and number of people that I've caught who were actually real runners that were stories worth telling, maybe a few hundred, you know. But uh-huh. uh, people who just missed court and you drove out and picked them up, or you know, caught them in jail somewhere. I mean, that would probably total in the thousands. If you figure that my company alone does between 200 and 250 bonds a month, then we're bonding out 3,000 people a year. If only one in 10 of those don't show up, we're doing probably 300 to 300, you know, 300 to 400 forfeitures a year ourselves. That's amazing. And a lot of those get picked up by other law enforcement agencies. A lot of those we find in jail. Um, I mean, it's a business. You get up every day. It's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Literally, for me to take time off like something like this uh, or to take vacation, you know, the agents have to be prepped for any kind of prolonged absence that I might be in. Mm-hmm. And uh, the phones have to be somewhere because the phones get answered 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even on Christmas. And when you get a tip that somebody you've been looking for is at a certain location, you've got to react immediately. Is that right? Uh, for the most part, I mean, it's, you don't want to rush. You've got to be real careful about that, rushing into things. Uh, but, yes, you have to be on the move. The person that's there this moment may very well not be there five minutes from now, much less, you know, two or three days from now. Mm-hmm. So, yes, you have to be very, very flexible in your scheduling and very, very flexible with your time. If you're the kind of person that needs to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning and go to work and get off at 5 and not think about their job from you know Friday afternoon to Monday morning, then the bell bond business or the bell enforcement business is not the way. Not the, it's not the job for you. I would think that most of your may, maybe this is uh, smoke and mirrors, but I would think most of your apprehensions would not be in uh, between eight, nine to five. They'd be like after it, hours it, in the middle of the night. Sure, uh, my favorite actually, my favorite is early morning. I, I learned in the military that a person is usually at their least observant early in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just waking up. The, they're you know the the day's breaking. Uh, you're not having to deal with uh, all the negative things that happen with nighttime arrests. Uh, knocking on someone's door at 8 o'clock in the morning or even 7 o'clock in the morning may be inconvenient, but it's not the same thing as knocking on it at 2 or 3 in the morning. So my right. favorite time to make rep- uh, apprehensions at their residences is usually around 7 o'clock in the morning. Interesting. 
I've oh, used I the love setup the one on it for about an that... hour, and I've got to cut. If you get there when it's dark and you sit up on it, uh-huh. then you can tell when they get up you know, pretty easy by when they start flipping on the lights. Exactly. You can tell when the neighborhood starts to stir by people going out and starting their cars or going out and picking out their picking up their newspapers or walking the all the things that people do in normal neighborhoods for the early morning ritual. And you stand a good chance of your person just walking out of the house sometimes. Yeah. Walking out to pick up the newspaper or whatever. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. I said walking out of the house to pick up the newspaper or something like that. Sure. Newspaper or walk their dog or just come out to start their car. Um, it's always preferable to catch the individual outside of their residence if you can if you can at all. Uh, uh-huh. Going into their residence it comes under a whole different guideline and and it requires a lot of things that once you see them you don't have to comply with. Oh, I see. Interesting. So uh, one of the comments that you provided, Joe, is, uh, I love this one. Why don't you spend your time catching real criminals? <laughs> yeah, I think I said something like, because we're busy, too busy catching pretend ones like you or something like that. That's, <laughs> that was one of that's, <laughs> that was one of my replies. You hear that all the time. Nobody, nobody wants to think of themselves as a criminal. I, I don't care who they are. I have never picked up anyone who, who thought they were a criminal, even though they had been accused and later on most of the time convicted of a crime mm-hmm. or they've done time before. Like I said, they've always, in order to absolve themselves of responsibility, they've always got a reason why they did it. It was either drugs or you know, they've just been dealt a hard hand in life. And so a lot of people who do, especially misdemeanor offenses, right? they don't think, they don't think of themselves as criminal. The guy who, right. who has his fifth DUI, you know, he just likes to drink. I haven't hurt anyone. I haven't right. run over anyone. And yeah. so he doesn't understand, you know, why you're coming after him on this silly DUI charge, and in reality, you've got a you know $15,000 bond sitting on a DUI fifth offense, you're going to bring that guy in or lose fifteen grand. you are going to bring the guy in. So his um, astonishment, I guess is the word, or, or his just disbelief that you, know, you would spend your time chasing poor little old me when there's serial killers out there. And mm-hmm. you know, there's not many serial killers out on bail. <laughs> Well, probably not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to have to take another break. But, you know, one of the ones that, that I liked is the guy that says, I'm going to sue you. You probably actually hear that fairly frequently, time. I would think. All the time. Everybody's yeah. a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> Just tell them to get in line. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Joe Styles. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. IRB Focus, created by IRB Search, brings together the best data in an entirely new system. New features and data, all in a responsive format, gives professional investigators a better tool to close cases. The Just Launch Connections Network even gives secure opportunities for collaboration and job referrals. Learn more about IRB Focus at irbsearch.com or call us at one 800 447 2112 to get started. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Joe Stiles, a bail enforcement agency agent based in Tennessee, is talking about the crazy things people do and say when they're apprehended as fugitives. And uh, Joe, there's so many things. Give us some other examples of um, what people have said to you that you remember. Um, well, I'll, I'll tell you a story then that my daughter loves to hear. My daughter thinks this is the funniest story. And it happened uh, long before she was born. I was chasing bell, a, a bell jumper. It wasn't a very high-profile case. And the guy wasn't, in my mind, a very tough guy. But he had buffaloed his father and his... When I say buffaloed, he he bullied, I guess is a good word. He bullied his father and his sister to the point where they were just petrified of him. And he would come in sometimes and stay with his father who lived in our one of our public housing units. And it was a... Uh, we we call them the projects here, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a one bedroom apartment. It had a little bitty living room, a little bitty kitchen, a bathroom, and a uh, a tiny bedroom. You know, it wasn't very big at all. And anytime he would come in, he would kick his father out of the bed, or make his father give him the bed and make his father sleep on the couch in the living room. And it just really irritated his sister, who didn't live with him. And so she promised she would call me the next time he came over. But she said, my father's 
really he'll, she'll, he will lie for him because he's afraid of him. But if you see my father sleeping on the couch, then you know he's there. <laughs> <clears throat> so one morning she called us and said, he's over there. He spent the night there last night. Uh, I just talked to my dad. He's definitely there. So I called my partner and explained it to him. And we came over there and I went over there and my partner took the back door and I took the front door. We knocked on the door and the little man came to the door and he goes, I asked for him, told him who I was. And he says, well, he's not here, sir. And I said, well, I've got a warrant for him. I need to take a look around. You just go to the back door and let my partner in. So my partner and I, I could see from the living room to the kitchen. Um, so he went back to the back door and let my partner in. There was no other way out. So we knew he was either in the bathroom or the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So we clear the bathroom as we're going through the, down the little hallway, and we turn into the bedroom. And the bed, of course, has been slept in, and there's a old dresser there, and that's it, a bed and a dresser. So we look under the dresser or under the bed, and he's, of course, not there. So we're pretty certain that he's in the closet. <laughs> so we, my partner steps back, and I open the closet door, and the little old man, he only had about three changes of clothes in there. It was a pretty bare closet. And in the bottom of the closet was a sheet pulled up, and the sheet was trembling. It was just shaking. <laughs> I mean, the, and we were trying not to laugh because the, it wasn't funny. You know, this was a really nasty kind of guy. And so I think I said something like, man, do you think we can't see you? And so he pulls the sheet down, just down past his nose. His mouth is still covered. And he looks at us, and he goes, who are you guys looking for? (laughs) (laughs) And of course I said, every idiot hiding in the closet today. So you get to go. And I drug him out of the closet and handcuffed him. And of course, you know, he was like, who told you I was here? All those crazy answers, you know, questions that you get. They always, they want to think that they're the, you know, slickest people in the world. And in reality, it is most often someone close to them who turns them in. We, in the industry, we refer to it as a Judas, a Judas goat. A and, Judas uh, goat? Okay. A Judas goat. Uh-huh. Uh, two references. A Judas goat is, uh, of course, Judas was one of the disciples of uh, Jesus Christ that betrayed him. But the Judas goat is, uh, years ago, in order to hunt things, hunt wild animals, mm-hmm. uh, hunters would sometimes stake a baby goat out in the middle of the uh, uh, of a clearing. And so when the wild animal came out to attack the goat or eat the goat, they would shoot the wild animals. So that's that's the oh, definition of a Judas goat. So a lot of times that's what happens is the person closest to them is the person who will turn them in. I can see that for sure. Well, so do you think, Joe, do you think it's because they don't want to go to jail or they don't take their uh, bail seriously, that they or their court date seriously. What do you think the main reason is when you have to go after somebody? Um, I don't know if there's a main reason uh, uh, because there's so many. There, there truly are people who who just absolutely make a calendar mistake, mm-hmm. and in cases where that happens, and we can connect with them quickly. Uh, or they have an attorney and we can contact him, then a lot of times we can get them back in front of the judge and reinstate the bond and, and you know, let them continue on with their, you know, journey through the criminal justice system. Yeah, with no problem. They can just, they just appear. 
I hate to say this because it sounds it sounds so um, mercenary, but the primary reason that people don't go to court is over money. They don't have the money. Yeah, they know. They've been told by some district attorney, if you don't come back to court with this fine paid, you're going to prison or you're going to jail for eleven months and twenty nine days. When yeah. everyone knows it's not true. But all you've done is, if you tell a guy who's making $8 an hour that he's got to have $2,000 in three weeks, you might as well tell him, why not tell him a million? You know, and I the mean, reality is, if you go to the court and tell them that you don't have any income uh, or you want to make payments, they, they will allow it. Absolutely. They, uh, there are instances where if you've not shown any uh, intention to pay, if you come back mm-hmm. to court six months later and you've paid thirty dollars, the judge may lock you up, you know, on a contempt or for failure to pay or failure to comply. But the reality is, if you're steady paying, then the they will more than often not extend your probation or set your court date off or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the primary reason people are in jail has a lot to do. It, it is a lot of times financial. A lot of times, they simply cannot pay what they're going to have to pay. Now, that doesn't absolve them of the crime or the deed that they've done. But once you break it down like that, then uh, they are able to uh, excuse themselves with, well, it's all about the money or all they want is money. And so that gives them the, I guess, moral outrage that they need to justify they're not going to court. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You hear that story a lot that, I mean, and there's probably not a judge or a DA in the United States that one time or another hasn't looked at a defendant and said, if you don't have this paid by the next time you go to court, you know, they have all kinds of little colorful phrases that they use. Oh, you know, pack your toothbrush. I right. got a bed for right. you. There's, And in reality, all they're doing is trying to, you know, legally extort money from somebody, you know, <laughs> that... You couldn't. You could never do that in a civil case. I can't go yeah. out and lock somebody up because they owe me money. Right. Right. That's true. So, so Joe, um, one of the one of the um, comments that people say often, I believe, is, "How did you find me? How in the world did you find me? I thought I was hidden." <laughs> yeah, that's people think they're you know people think they're hidden because. They're living with someone or they've traveled someplace where no one knows them. In reality, especially in this you know, digital world we live in, nobody's hidden. The only reason you're not, if you're wanted, the only reason you're not caught, you know, it, it, you're not wanted badly enough. Yeah. Uh, one, of the, uh, thing, one of the tools that we use, I, I believe we spoke about this earlier, uh, are data information providers and and one of the ones i use you know there's many there but one of the ones i use is the uh, irb search uh, internet yeah. resource bureau uh people don't understand that i don't really need you hear people all the time i don't want to give you my social security number i don't want to give you people don't understand i don't need any of that all i need is your name i don't really even need your date of birth i just need to know the town you used to live in or the town you've ever lived in or the town i got you out of jail in Mm-hmm. And within a matter of minutes, <clears throat> I can tell you your date of birth, your social security number, any address you've claimed for the last 
you know, 20 years, your mom, your dad, your aunt, your uncle, your yeah. anybody that's ever shared. I mean, the information that's out there at, at the touch of a button is just so, uh, so much. It is. And, and, you know, the privacy advocates out there would, would object to this. But the reality is, and IRB Search uh, that you mentioned is one of the sponsors of the show, and you can only subscribe to their service if, you have, if you're vetted. You have to prove that you're licensed. You have to prove uh, they, um, they often, um, they may have to conduct a site inspection. They may do all kinds of things to verify that you're a legitimate um, Oh, yeah, I had to show them a, yeah, I had to send them a copy of my business license. Mm-hmm. I had to send them a copy of my insurance license. Uh, I think they were one of the ones uh, that even wanted a picture of my office showing that I had proper signage mm-hmm. and, you know, that I wasn't, you know, some guy operating out of his mom's basement. We get a exactly. lot of those. And uh, so when I said that that information is available, I, shot, I probably shouldn't have meant that it, I probably shouldn't have indicated uh, that it was available to the public. It's available to licensed investigators, people who have a need to know the, inform- the information is out there. Although there are, I mean, since the introduction of social media, and we talked about this, um, the technical information that you get from things like uh, credit checks and or credit headers and um, data information providers like Merlin or IRB or Skip Smasher mm-hmm. or so many others are nothing compared to the things people will tell you about themselves on things right. like MySpace and Facebook and Twitter. And I don't even know what else out there, actually. I've, I have a 14-year-old daughter who has every uh, social media account you could possibly have and, yeah. a wife who, and a wife who has the password to every one of them and who monitors them for sure. But it, it's just amazing. We caught a skip. Um, he didn't even have a cell phone. And uh, I found out that he ran with his girlfriend and his girlfriend had uh, had her two daughters with her. And of course the father of those daughters was, you know, extremely upset because he couldn't find them and, you know, they wouldn't, you know, but he had their, I think it's called their Twitter handle. I don't mm-hmm. have a Twitter. Uh, I have a Facebook. Uh, so uh, can I mention my Facebook page? Sure. Go ahead. Oh, uh, so yes. Uh, Belfast Bonding uh, is my uh-huh. Facebook page, or Joe Styles, J O E S T I L E S, in Knoxville, Tennessee. <laughs> and my goal is to have as many friends as possible on Facebook. I, I really enjoy Facebook. Okay, okay. But <clears throat> uh, this gentleman had ran with his girlfriend and her two children, and uh, they uh, the the teenage girls were Twitter addicts. Mm-hmm. And so they would never tweet exactly where they were, but they would tweet where they were going, which was kind of funny. Oh, that's you know, fun. I'm going down to the 7-Eleven to get an icy. Or, and one day they mentioned a roller coaster. And from that, I was able to determine that they were, with a quick Google search, they were in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I have a good friend in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, who's, a, who's an excellent yeah. investigator. And I sort of figured they were staying in a rent by the week motel. And he told me that in that area there were only two. He knew the owners of both of them. Did yeah. I know what they were driving? Within an hour, he had the guy in handcuffs and headed to me. 
That's great. Do you know what, Joe? We are absolutely at the end of our hour. And that's a great story to end with. I wanted to talk to people about how to get in the bail bond business, but I'm sure that if they're interested, they can contact you directly. Okay. Well, yes, Thanks ma'am. For- I, I hope I didn't run over for you. <laughs> you were you were great. Great show. Thank you so much, Joe. And for our listeners here, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and people like Joe, who's a bail bond agent. It's P- PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management. Wealth Generators empowers your personal freedom with a simple, repeatable program for success. Our stock market experts bring extensive experience and deliver it directly to our members so they can invest for themselves. Now for a limited time, the Financial You listeners can try the Wealth Generators program risk-free for 30 days for only $1. That's right, just $1. You will have access to our three weekly trade strategies for a full 30 days. After the trial ends, our products are covered by our triple your money back guarantee. If you trade our strategies for six months and lose money, we will pay you three times your subscription fee back. That's how confident we are in the Wealth Generators program. In addition, you can earn by referring others to the program. If you tell a friend and they join, you get paid. Not once, but each and every month they remain active. Trade like the experts, build residual income, and take the first step in generating wealth. Enroll now at WGOffer.com. For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Lindsay Marie from Bookworms. I want to thank you for being a backer of our Kickstarter. Kidstar, we empower kids. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs 